Father, I thank you for the gift of parents praying over their children and for spouses praying together. Father, for a church that gathers in the name of Jesus, knowing that the resurrected Jesus is resurrecting us, that the life that we live, the hope that we have for life is found not in what we do, not in what we earn. God, it's found in living in response to your salvation, response to your kingdom coming in this world, Father. We want to live under the rule of Christ in our life. Father, we know that it's so easy for us to wonder, it's so easy for us to find ourselves focusing on so many other things, God, and we pray that our hearts will be drawn back to the hope that we have in Jesus, and God, that our lives will be built on your word. Father, continue to guide us as we gather this morning and continue, Father, to work in our lives as we go from this place in a few minutes. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would, take your Bible and turn to the book of Titus. If you're new with us, the, uh, we are in the process of going through a study of the book of Titus. Titus is going to be toward the end of your Bible. You go through a series of letters written from Paul. And you start to get toward the end of those letters, and he has some letters that he wrote to individuals. And one of those is the book of Titus. It's fairly short. It's going to take us, though, through the beginning of May as we continue to study this, this piece of Scripture uh, a step at a time. If you received a bulletin as you came in, on the back of that bulletin are some notes that might be helpful for you. Also, I want to let you know that this topic that we're covering this morning about eldership and what it looks like for a church to have leadership and governance and the way that that works coming from Scripture, there's a lot of pieces to this discussion. And so what I hope to do, not hope to, I'm, I'm going to do it, I'm going to make it happen, this week is to send out an email with some additional resources, some additional information. Um, if you are a guest of ours or you don't have your email, uh, if you've never given that to us, put that in our system. After the sermon is finished, the way that we're going to respond to God's word today is we're just going to have a time of introspective prayer. You're going to have a chance to put your heart before the Lord, and then we'll take up our offering at the end. And when those offering plates go by, if you want to put one of those guest cards in the offering plate with your email, I'll be sure and get those uh, notes and resources emailed out to you this week. We don't want to bombard you with a bunch of things that wouldn't be helpful for you, but I try to send out some things from time to time, and one of the things this week will be some additional material from the sermon. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, or maybe you're here this morning and you're just going through a very dark, difficult time, and you think to yourself, man, I came on Church Governance Day like, what is that going to do for me today? I, I really was looking for something else. Let me let you know that one of the joys of gathering with the church, one of the, the sources of hope that we have is that our life is built on the Word of God, on this stable force. And so what we're trying to do as a church family is go through the process of studying and understanding and applying scripture. And so you may be at a time where you think, you know what, eldership is not in my top 10 list of issues that I really care about right now, Owen. But what I would ask for you to hear this morning is the gift of God's word in your life. And the gift of God's church 
in your life. That when the church is drawn together in a healthy way, built on the word of God, empowered by God's spirit, yes, I understand this particular topic right now may not be in your top 10 list of favorite topics, but what you do need in your life right now is the stability of God's word. And what you do need in your life right now is the hope of a church gathered together under Christ. And so if we can do that as we study God's word, if we can do that as we gather together and worship, I pray that God's grace will be made known in your life this morning. And maybe something we talk about, especially if one of the things that turns you off to Christianity is hypocrisy under church leadership, maybe you're just very turned off by the idea of there being leaders in the church or you've been hurt by church leadership in the past, I pray that God's word could bring some healing uh, to your life this morning. So we're gonna get started in the book of Titus I want us to read, starting in Titus chapter 1, verse 4, and we're going to read down through verse 9. Paul says, I'm writing to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So that concludes the kind of opening part of the letter. Then in verse 5, the reason I left you in Crete which was this island in the Mediterranean. The reason I left you at this place was that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, there's a good word for you, pugnacious, uh, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. This is the word of God. Okay, here's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna focus there in verse five where Paul gives this charge to Titus to set in order these churches. And the reason the churches need to be set in order is because Paul was the type of missionary, he was the type of person that went over and preached Jesus and people responded to Christ and then he didn't just move on and say, good, check that box off, we'll add that to my missionary support letter and send out a big number. He wanted to see those people established in churches because he knew that they needed that church gathering to continue to grow in the faith. He wasn't just come, add up numbers, and move on to the next place. He cared about the establishment of the church because Jesus loves the church and gave himself up for the church. And so when we follow Christ, he gathers us together with other believers. And part of doing that is that he would appoint elders. Now the word elder may conjure up a lot of different ideas in your mind. If you come from a Mormon background, you're gonna have a particular idea of the word elder. If you come from a Presbyterian background, you're gonna have a particular idea of the word elder. If you grow up in a Southern Baptist church like me, you may have never heard of the word elder in relationship to church leadership, or that may have been the term that you heard. But here, Paul tells Titus to appoint elders in these churches. This is not something new for them. This is something that Paul had been doing on his missionary journeys. You can look back in Acts chapter 14, and you can see after Paul went on his first set of missionary trips, he went back kind of in reverse to visit all of those churches and to do this exact things, to appoint leaders 
in the church who are going to be able to promote church health and promote spiritual growth and numerical growth and continue to expand the gospel in these areas. So when Paul writes to Titus, this isn't something random that he's throwing out there. This has always been part of Paul's plan. It's always been part of Jesus' plan for the church. But it raises the question of, what does it look like to appoint elders in the church? So here's what we're going to do this morning. Three categories. First, we're just going to do a quick overview of eldership in Scripture. I'm going to have to go pretty quickly through this, uh, this part, but I'm going to send out some more information this week. We want to get an idea of eldership in Scripture. What does it mean to have leadership among the people of God? Then we want to look particularly about what does it look like for these elders to be in place in the book of Titus. And then we're going to say, okay, what does that mean to us? So, eldership in Scripture, eldership in this passage in Titus, and then what does that mean for us right now? Hopefully this is a good plan for any time you study a topic in God's Word. We're trying to get a broad overview. How does this fit in Scripture? What's it saying in this particular passage? And then what is it saying for us right now? So that's our process. On your notes, you can see there's a couple of points under eldership in Scripture. The first is the word elder would have had an Old Testament Jewish background, just ancient world background for these people who heard it. They were coming up in a world where your elders were respected. Now, we're not going to define who's an elder here this morning in terms of age and who's not an elder in terms of age, but these people would have been in a time when elder wasn't primarily, wasn't originally having anything to do with church leadership or leadership over the people of God. You just lived in a society in which people respected their elders. Now, I know you could start bombarding my generation about us not doing a good job respecting our elders, and there's something to be said for that. We live in a time where if we're not careful, the church, in addition to everybody else, can be a part of a culture where if somebody gets older, they're just pushed to the side. And that is a dangerous way to run a society. It's even a more dangerous way to run a church. Because the gift of generations to God's people, the way that God has created this, the way that as someone grows older, they're not pushed to the side, they're honored all the more, they're cared all the more. We remember that if we treasure life before birth, we treasure life all the way to the end of life on this earth and for all eternity. And so as God's people, we should be a people who respect our elders. And that's one of those background ideas here in Scripture. But as you get through the Old Testament, and you get into the Gospels, you find Jesus sometimes referring to the elders along with the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees because elders became leaders in their communities. As you grew older, as you were respected, you had a role of leadership in your communities. And one of the things that Jesus was facing in the New Testament and the Gospels is the elders and the chief priests and the rulers they had become so concerned with protecting their past traditions that they were failing to pass on, to live out the word of God. And so Jesus comes along and he has some very harsh things to say about the chief priests and elders, not because he didn't respect his elders, he did respect those who were older than him, he was worried about this danger that comes when you protect your tra traditions and you fail to pass on the word of God. And so eldership for the people who heard it originally would have had this Old Testament ancient world background. The second thing I want you to know 
is when you begin to look in Scripture and we start to get into the book of Acts and we get into the letters of Paul and Peter, the word elder starts to take on this role as being the leader in the church, the leader among the people of God. And here's where it gets very interesting. When you see the terms starting to show up in the book of Acts and in Paul's letters, you find that it goes together with two other terms very closely. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, if you want to look at this right now or you want to look at it later, we're going to refer to a couple of sections. We're going to look at Acts chapter 20, and we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5. You can make a note to look at these in your own Bible later if you want to, if you're not comfortable turning from place to place. But two, two passages. First is Acts chapter 20. This is when Paul is going to visit a group of people who have been established as elders, have been established as leaders in these churches. He says in Acts 20, verse 17, Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So there was a set group of people that Paul wanted to meet with as he was passing by this area. He told them, he told these elders in verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care. And that word to care there is the word for shepherd or pastor, to pastor the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. What you find in Acts chapter 20 here, as Paul speaks to the elders, is that elder, overseer, pastor, are three different descriptions of the same group of people, of the same people, so three functions. So you have, I put equal signs on your bulletin and that equal sign may not be the clearest indication. What I want you to see though is these three descriptions, elder, overseer, which is also the word bishop that we use sometimes in modern English, and the pastor or the shepherd, these were the same person, these were the same role in the church. You see this again in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd. There's that word shepherd again. It's the word for pastor. Pastor the flock of God, so the people of God, among you, meaning there's these local church leaders that aren't ultimately responsible for other churches. They are, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, if you want to write that down as a reference, Hebrews 13, 17, the writer of Hebrews tells the leaders that they are going to one day give an account for the people under their care. If you said, Owen, what is the one verse in the Bible that keeps you up in, at night more than anything else, it would be Hebrews 13, 17 that one day I will give an account to God for the souls that have been placed under my leadership, under my care. That's a huge weight there, this idea that I'm not responsible for the other churches down the road that we think of dearly as brothers and sisters in Christ. We value them. Let me give you an analogy to this. We have some wonderful neighbors uh, around us, great people, people we've gotten to know mean a lot to our family. When their kids are outside, I'm watching over them, I'm making sure they're safe. We're doing, you know, whatever we're, we're doing there. We're, I care for their kids. I love their kids as my neighbors. But at night, I'm ultimately responsible for my own children. Now, I care for their kids. I love them. 
They're our neighbors. We're in this together. But I'm ultimately responsible for, for my own children. And Peter is telling them, shepherd the flock that's among you, exercising oversight. That's the word bishop. That's the word overseer. So in Scripture, you find elder, pastor, bishop, or elder, pastor, overseer. They're essentially synonyms. They're, they're the same role within the church. What this means is that it's a step beyond the New Testament for the pastor to be one role, a group of elders to be a part of a board, and then there'd be a, a bishop or overseer out here. Scripture ties those roles together. It, it doesn't separate those roles. The pastor is the elder is the overseer. The overseer is the pastor is the elder. Those are synonyms. They go together, three different descriptions for the same role. So what it makes us think about for a second is it makes us think about the terminology we use in church life. In Baptist life, at least our church is a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, when I was growing up, we had a pastor of the church. We didn't call that leader an elder. We didn't call that leader a bishop. We called them the pastor. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good New Testament description. Interestingly, though, it's probably the least common description in the New Testament for that person who has local church leadership. So we default to pastor, even though that's probably the least common description. It's a good description because it describes the care, it describes the shepherding, but it's not the only description. Some churches will call their local leaders elders. Some churches will call their local leaders overseers, but that's less common. Usually elder or pastor are the most common terms there. What you don't have, though, what you don't have is three different roles in the New Testament. You have three different descriptions for the same role. You say, well, what about ministers? We use the term minister. Well, this is something I'm feeling pretty convicted about. We have to be careful about the word minister because in Ephesians chapter 4, it's very clear that the leaders of the church are to equip the people for the work of ministry. So I know this is kind of a cheesy saying, but every member really is a minister. We use those titles sometimes as default titles for church staff, but it's very true in the New Testament that if you're a member of the church, you are a minister. Add that to your business card, you know, just for future reference that, that you're a minister. So um, it might get you out of a traffic ticket, but probably not. So <laughs> um, you have to ask Jim Leehue if that works or not. The, uh, so you can have ministers, but... The minister in the New Testament is the member of the church. All believers are ministers, but there are leaders that God has put in place that are sometimes called elders, sometimes called pastors, sometimes called overseers. You might say, well, what about deacons? Let me show you Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Philippians 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of God, are writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Saint is a reference to anyone who's a member of the church. Anyone who is in Christ in the New Testament is a saint. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So Paul is kind of referencing three categories of people, so to speak. And, and don't think about it too much as a hierarchy because the train will go off the tracks there. It's not so much a hierarchy. It's the saints, all the people who are Christians, all the people who are gathered there in Philippi as part of the people of God. There are overseers tasked with leading, feeding, 
caring for those people serving as the leadership, and there are deacons who are the leading servants, preserving unity among the people, caring for the widows, caring for the people who are in need. So you have overseers, elders, pastors. You have deacons, all a part of the saints, all a part of the body of Christ who are the ministers in the church. Here's something interesting that shows up in the New Testament. When the word elder is used, it's almost always used in the plural. When the word elder is used in the New Testament, it's almost always used in the plural. If you're like me, and you grew up in a traditional, rural, uh, Southern Baptist church, green carpet, wood paneling on the walls, if, if that's your background, like, like mine is, the church had one pastor. And then, depending on the church situation, often the deacons would almost serve as like a board of directors, uh, board of elders almost in that sense, and the church would call their pastor, singular, who in unhealthy situations worked for them. They called that person to work for them, not alongside them, to work for them, and then you had the deacons that made sure that pastor, now I know it's a little bit of a caricature, but not much, <laughs> because there are many situations that are like that. And that has been there, but it's not the clearest indication of what the New Testament gives us when it talks about local church leadership, local church establishment. Usually, usually in the, Old in the New Testament, the term elder is plural, this idea of shared leadership, shared pastoring, shared oversight of, of the congregation. Now, what you don't get in the New Testament is exactly how those elders related. You don't get exactly how all the decisions were made. You don't get exactly how everything was framed together, but you do get this indication that there were multiple pastors, multiple leaders there in the local church. This is something that you're seeing a resurgence of today in a lot of churches where there are multiple leaders, multiple people serving as pastors, elders, sharing their leadership together. And you might be asking the question, is that something we're gonna do at, at Emmaus? Well, that, we're gonna get to that at the end of, of the sermon, but just to put the cards out on the table, we are closer to that than you might realize. Uh, we're closer to that than you might realize, that there are a group of ordained men who serve on staff, and we share leadership in, in many ways. We share decision-making, we come together in prayer, we share the responsibility of oversight, and so even though we don't use the term elders like a lot of churches would, we're very close to that idea of shared leadership because what you don't want in a church is either one person hired by the church to be their hired man and then they just dispense of him and go on whenever the time is right. You don't want that. Neither do you want one person at the top who accrues all the authority, all the power, all the attention is put on them because there's a word for that. It's usually cult. Uh, you get into a situation where one person has all the power and all the authority. That's not healthy either. What you see in the New Testament is this idea of shared leadership. And it's not shared leadership so power can accrue. It's shared leadership because of the weight that's found in that. Because of the need to have other people around you. And so, are we going to use the term eldership? Are we going to use the term elders here at Emmaus? Just to be honest with you, I don't know. Uh, I'm a little concerned that that has become a buzzword among people my age, and young pastors are notoriously bad about chasing whatever the uh, new idea is. We're like that dog on up, squirrel. 
<laughs> we take off running. Like, oh, here's another idea. And we take off running and chasing that squirrel. I want to be so cautious toward you as the church that I love that we're not chasing every new buzzword and every new fad that comes around. What I do want to say is we want our church and we want our lives to be built on the word of God. And one of the things you find is shared pastors, shared eldership, shared leadership. That is a necessary thing for the good of Emmaus. And so however we turn that, however we track that down, we want to make sure that we're honoring God's word. All right, let's move on. So the idea that eldership is normally plural. Number four, this idea of eldership doesn't remove congregational engagement. So even though you have a group of people who are designated the elders, pastors, overseers of the church, that doesn't take away from congregational engagement. The question is, what decisions are the, is the congregation involved in? To what degree does the congregation get involved in the political life of the church? Oh, God love you, Emmaus. One of the hallmarks of Emmaus, and, and part of this is our background as a church, the way Emmaus has come together over the years, but people aren't streaming to Emmaus because they're looking to be involved in the political life of the church. And God bless you every day for, for being a church that, that's like that. Let me say in response to that, that as leaders in the church, we have to be careful not to take advantage of that. That because you're a church that's so trusting, because you're a church that says we don't want our hands in every decision, we're not here because we want to vote on everything, which is a really good thing, a really healthy thing, we can't flip the switch the other way and then just push the congregation out of the way and say, hey, don't worry about it, we'll take care of it, we're the professionals. That's not healthy New Testament church either. What we have to do is figure out how do we walk that line together of congregational engagement. You're not here to be a participant. I mean, you are here to be a participant. You're not here just to watch. You're here to be a participant, to be engaged. But you're also saying, if we need to buy you know, a new rake next week, let's not have a business meeting to decide which rake to buy. That's where church life becomes unfun in a hurry. And so, yes, we need congregational engagement, but no, that doesn't mean decision-making on every small task. How do we do that? We just trust each other. We love each other, we trust each other, and we're gonna do our best as, as we move forward under God's leadership. Number five, in the New Testament, when it talks about eldership, the focus is on the character and the function of the elder. There are not a lot of details about the actual details and arrangements. Now, I think that this is important in, when we think about New Testament church. God says, this is the type of leadership you need. Here's the framework, but I'm not going to give you the details beyond that because it's going to look different from place to place. It's going to look different from context to context. There's a lot of churches out there starting to use the term elder and their governance, the way they set up their church, looks very differently. Just because your friend down the road attends a church that has elders, and I'm saying positive things about that. I'm not saying negative things about that. Just because they attend a church that has the term elders doesn't mean that there's some preset model out there that they're using. There's a lot of different ways that church can use, but what the focus is on is the character. Let me show you this in 1 Peter 5 again. In 1 Peter 5, when Peter is talking about those overseers, he says they should serve not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, 
you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Because that leads to number six. Church leadership is always under Christ. Now, in your Sunday school class, and this includes you kids, you kids are included in this as well, in your Sunday school class, Jesus is not always the right answer to, to every question. But if anyone ever asks you, who is the leader of the church, the answer is always Jesus. If they ever ask you, who's the leader of the church, it's not Owen, it's not the pastors, it's Jesus. That any role that we have in spiritual leadership, any pastors, elders, overseers, serving alongside deacons, engaged with the church of God, always operates under Christ. Because if we're not operating under Christ, then what we find is we're operating for our own good, our own purposes, and then it becomes all about us and not about Christ. That leads us to the next section. How does Paul, in the book of Titus, describe these people in leadership? We'll go back to Titus chapter one, and we wanna walk through the description of the elders that's given in Titus chapter one. These descriptions, hear me out before we start going through these. These descriptions are not special descriptions for elders that are also not expected of other members. These are descriptions that should be true of every Christian. The reason they're given of elders is because elders set the example that the church will follow. So what you read in Titus chapter one, don't say, well, that's only for Owen. Look in your own heart. Say, this is for me. This is for us as a church. Titus chapter one, starting in verse six. If a man is above reproach, above reproach is the title here. If you're gonna have a local church leader, that person has to be above reproach. It has to, here's a word, kids, if above reproach doesn't make sense to you this morning, use the word reputation. This passage of scripture is about your reputation in the community and your reputation among the people of God. So if above reproach doesn't make sense, just put in the word reputation. That they have a reputation of being the husband of one wife. Is this a person who is faithful, or is this a person who's always chasing the next thing? We use this term often in reference to divorce, but before you get to divorce here, start with lust. Start with faithfulness. Start with this is a man, if this is a man who has a reputation in the community of loving and serving his wife, or does this person have a reputation for always chasing the next thing, always looking at whoever's coming around next? And then after you think about that being true for Owen, just turn it around and think about it in your own heart. Do I have a reputation for faithfulness? Do I have a reputation as someone who can be trusted, who other men look at and say, I know that man loves his wife and he's not thinking about my wife? That's a heavy weight to, uh, to bear when we think about our reputation among the people of God, our reputation in the community. So he's the husband of one wife. Then it gets more difficult. <laughs> Having children who believe not accused of dissipation or being unruly or rebellious. Now that word believe there, is this a situation where it says a man can only be a leader in the church if his children are Christians? That's one possible interpretation of the passage. The word believe there can mean Christian, or it can also mean someone who is faithful, someone who is trustworthy. So talking about kids who may not be Christians, either because of their age or just because of the fact that the Lord has not called them to that salvation yet, but they're kids who respect their parents, who are faithful to their parents. The imagery here 
and, and hear me out on this, the imagery here has less to do with the kids and more to do with the reputation of the man, of the parent here. Is this someone whose kids would be acting unruly because they see that example at home, or are they acting unruly because they're not given any correction or any discipline or any instruction? You already know this. You don't need me to tell you this or Jim to tell you this or Jaren to tell you this, but pastor's kids live in a fishbowl. Um, it's, just, it's just the nature of it. And we always live with this concern that we don't want to tell our kids, you need to act this way so dad doesn't lose his job. You don't want to speak and you want to tell your kids, follow the Lord because he is good and he is worthy of your life. And we want to see you give yourself fully to him. It's not about embarrassing dad. It's about honoring Jesus. And so you're always worried about church members who find it their job to be the police on Titus 1.6. And let me say thanks, Emmaus, for not doing that, that you are good and gracious Parenting is pretty hard. <laughs> I don't know how to tell you that other than it's pretty hard. And you give it your best and you try to speak into your kid's life and care them. But I want to tell my kids, follow Jesus because he's good. Don't worry about dad's job. Because Titus 1.6 is not primarily about the kids. It's about what example do the kids see at home? And are they given correction? Are they given leadership? Are they given discipline? Are they led in the right way? So Titus 1.6 deals with, is this a man is this someone who has a reputation for being engaged at home? He's engaged with his wife. He's engaged with his kids. Not engaged to his wife. He's married to his wife. He's, he's engaged in the sense like he's involved. Uh, verse 7. We've got to start picking, picking up speed here. Verse 7. For the overseer, notice how Paul transitions from elder to overseer and doesn't miss a beat. It's the same, same rule here. For the overseer must be above reproach. He has a reputation as God's steward, he's not self-willed. In other words, he's not arrogant. He's not in this for himself. He doesn't have all the answers. He's going to have trouble. He's going to be humble before you. If you have a leader who is arrogant, who all things come back to themselves, who has to be right all the time, that's a huge red flag there. This says not self-willed, not quick-tempered, should be under control, not addicted to wine, he's not driven by something else, he has self-control, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain. In other words, he's not greedy. What you get in verse seven is someone who has self-control. Their life is ordered, their life is controlled, they're a place of stability and peace. Verse eight, the person should be hospitable. That word means lover of foreigners, lover of others. In a political world that is becoming so inwardly drawn, so much about cutting ourselves off from other people, the elder, the pastor, should be doing the opposite. We're loving the foreigner. We're loving the stranger. We're caring for those people who are outside. Hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just about self-control. You get this picture of somebody you can trust, somebody who has a life under control. Then in verse 9, it says, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so he's able to exhort and sound doctrine. This is the positive side. He's able to speak into your life, and then on the opposite side, to refute those who contradict. So to speak positively, hey, do this, and then negatively, don't go that direction. Somebody who knows God's word. 
So what you get here is a person whose reputation is such that when people look toward that church, they see a display of the gospel of Jesus. One of our sayings here at Emmaus, our tagline at Emmaus, is that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. The words that we speak and the lives that we live should point people toward Christ. If you want a picture of that, you find it in the description of leadership in Titus chapter one. Why is that so important? Because if the leaders are living lives that point people toward Jesus, and the ministers, who are the members of the church, are living lives that reflect the good news of Jesus, then they're gonna be able to speak about Jesus and people aren't gonna scream hypocrite. They're gonna scream, you know what? I may not believe what that person believes, but I trust their life. I know they're a person who cares about the things of the Lord. Okay, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for eldership in the 21st century? I put corporate response and personal response. What does this mean for our church? It means that we're gonna pursue wise, orderly, and humble church governance. Let me give you a quick overview on the screen of what our church leadership looks like at, at Emmaus. Here's how we're trying to do this as a church. We are an autonomous, autonomous is a $100 word that means there's no outside groups that tell us what to do. We're in this together. Um, and that's a confusion for people depending on your church background, but we are in this together. We're making decisions that we feel like the Lord is leading us. We're a local church under Christ. Christ is our leader. We have congregational polity. Polity is just the word for how do we make a lot of decisions, how do we decide how we're gonna do things. The congregation is engaged, uh, not on every small decision, but we are in this together as a church. The pastors are the servant leaders, providing leadership, providing oversight, providing shepherding, but doing that as servant leaders, not people who are trying to gain influence for themselves. The deacons are the leading servants. We have hundreds of servants in our church. If you're here engaged as a member, you're a servant of Christ. But there are some people who have been called out to lead the way in serving, and those are the people the Bible refers to as deacons. The staff and the ministry teams are the operating engines for the church. They're the people kind of driving some of the programs, driving some of the decision-making about what we're going to do and where we're going to do it. And then that dreaded C word down there at the bottom, what a way to end a sermon, but uh, that dreaded C word, the committees at Emmaus serve as that support structure. They're kind of our checks and balance to make sure that we're making decisions that represent who we are as a church family. Okay, what's your response personally to a message like this? Let me give you this question to ask yourself. Do I live under Christ? Everyone has a leader in their life, something or someone that drives their life. If you need a representation of what does it mean to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian is I have placed myself under Christ. He is my Lord and my Savior. Is that true for you? Because if we claim the name of Christ, what we're claiming is we have placed ourselves under him, under the cross of Christ, that he is the one who covers us, he is the one who leads us. If that's true, then have I placed myself within a local church that's seeking to live under Christ? So I'm under Christ as his follower, 
And as his follower, I'm called into relationship with other believers as part of his church, both locally and then as I go out with brothers and sisters in Christ. And then if that's true, does my life display Jesus to the world around me? Take a second and think about your reputation. Now we could get into a silly debate about reputation versus character, but put put that to the side. What is your reputation with people? If someone looks at your life and thinks about that person's character, that person's actions, how they're known in the community, does your reputation, does your life display the Jesus that you claim that you're under? And how do we get to that point? We get to that point when we place ourselves in community with people who are seeking to do the same thing. We say, I need to live based on God's word. I need to live empowered by God's spirit. As we wrap up this morning, I wanna give us a chance to put our hearts back in that place. If you would bow your heads with me at this time. We're not gonna sing a song during this time. We're not going to have a come down front time. I want you to know that when the service is over in about five minutes, I'm gonna stay down here at the front and I'd be honored to to pray with you. If you're a guest and you'd wanna know some more about Emmaus, we're gonna be down here. But right now, I want you to think about your heart, your life. Is it true of your life that you are living under Christ? That he is your Lord and your Savior? That he is your leader in life? Because it's one thing to be interested in the things of Jesus. It's one thing to be respectful of Jesus. It's another to be his follower, to give your life fully to him. I just want to make sure that our hearts are in the right place. And if that's true of you, have you placed yourself among a group of people who are seeking to do that? Not always perfectly. We're going to have conflict. We're going to have difficulty. We're going to have hurt feelings. We're going to run into difficult times. But we're in this together. And Emmaus may not be that place for you. You might be a guest here. You might be looking for where that's going to be. This may not be the place, but you need to be in a church that's built on God's word and that's operating under Christ. And then finally, I would ask you to look at your heart and say, what is my reputation? Students, what is your reputation at school? Kids, what's your reputation with your teachers at school? What's your reputation at work? What's your reputation in your neighborhood? There's a big difference between having a reputation as a religious person and having a reputation as a follower of Christ. We're not asking if your reputation is being a religious person. We're asking, does my life display the good news of Jesus to the world around me? And I pray that starting with my heart that God would draw us to repentance this morning. That he would draw us to live lives that are above reproach, lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we need your healing. We need your strength. We don't go from this place beaten up, feeling like we're not worth worth anything. God, we go 
with a renewed commitment to live for you, to live lives that display Jesus to the world around us. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word and for the gift of your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.